I have been sensing inside of me a stirring in the last two days, a deep movement. Dr. Ratzner, it's uh, definitely not the physical one you described so graphically last evening. <laughs> I'm glad about that. But that stirring that all of us as recovering Laodiceans ought to have, is that right? And we need Jesus more. We need to know him and love him. Everything in our life, whatever we do, is really secondary to his mission, to serving him, whether we're a preacher or whether we're a doctor or a medical professional or a spouse or whatever. So thank you for letting me be here. It's a real privilege and an honor. I've heard so much good about Amen over the years. Mark and Teeny Finley have been a real mentor team to Janet and I for many years. And of course, you hear about Amen when you hang around with them. But uh, also uh, been on the Weimar board for some years now. And the precious world-class team on there uh, is Amen. <laughs> they believe in it, and it's what we're trying to do for the world in terms of the Don McIntosh and Neil Nedleys and others working together with now pastors around the world, and the rest of you included as well. So let's pray for each other and work for that. But we're not here to talk about all that this morning, but to hear what the Lord might say. And I've really prayed, got people, prayer partners praying for me around the world today that he will say something to all of us, including me. And so I'd like to invite you just to pray silently for a moment as well and uh, ask him to speak to your heart. In Luke 11, he has a whole chapter talking about the importance of asking for the Holy Spirit, persevering in prayer, all of those things. But right now, will you just give him permission based on that promise that when we ask, the Holy Spirit will come. He'll speak to us. He'll comfort us. He'll instruct us. He'll even reprove us where needed and help us. So just in your own way, invite the Lord to speak to you in this next time, will you? Our wonderful Lord, it continues to amaze us that you would humble yourself to be in a place like this, to be in our midst, to love us, to pursue us, to constantly be after us in our lives. But thank you, that's the way you are. You're not just loving. You are love. We don't understand it, but we're so glad. So today, speak to our hearts. Use me, Lord. Get me out of the way. Crucified with you so that you can speak to us. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. A young man loved to drive his sports car really fast on curvy mountain roads. I should ask how many of you have sports cars. No. He was doing it again on a beautiful day, and coming to a blind curve he couldn't see around, all of a sudden, a woman driver, sorry ladies, came flying around the curve and almost went off the cliff. And uh, at the last moment, she corrected, came back, and was headed right straight for him. He was panicking. It looked like it was going to be a head-on. But at the last minute, she corrected again and went around him. And as she flew by him, she yelled out of her window, PIG! at him. He was infuriated to think that this woman, who almost hit him in his lane, would call him a pig. So he thought, what can I do? He hollered back, hog! And was congratulating himself on being so quick to think of something mean to yell at her. Pursued on around the blind curve and hit the pig standing in the middle of the road. <laughs> I like that illustration because it reminds me of my God. He always sees around the curve, isn't that right? Our God is omniscient. He sees everything, and he's also a God of grace, the wonderful gospel, that he's always trying to, to warn us 
when we're in danger, trying to prepare us for what's coming in our lives and in the world. He sent us the prophecies and the prophets. He sent us providence. He sends us friends sometimes to tell us what's up. He's always trying to help us not hit the pig in the road. Amen. I don't always like it. Sometimes the prophet's words seem harsh to me. They seem like he's yelling at me almost. I don't like it cutting across my, my life and what I want to do. But thank God he's always for me. You know, they say in the Chinese language, there are two picture characters for the word crisis. Do you know what they are? Danger and opportunity. I probably shouldn't say this, but I can't help it. When Rahm Emanuel was the chief of staff for our new president and they came into office, he said, you know, this terrible financial crisis, you can't waste a good crisis. And people that are wise in crisis know that there is always an opportunity hiding there too. Financial crisis, many people get rich there, don't they? And I'm not going to go into the Obamacare thing. I'll let you all deal with that. You're, this is your field. But we need to pray for each other and pray for our country, don't we? That we can come through and be the kind of country that we should be for God. But uh, when I think about that, I think about the crisis we're in. Do you believe we're in the final crisis? Oh, yes. I, I know you believe that. And I probably shouldn't talk about the signs. I should call Mark up here to preach if we're going to preach about the signs. But I'm, I'm a fool, so let me stumble into it anyway. And... Uh, we know the signs. Matthew 24, you've read them many times. We won't even look them up here. The signs are famines and disasters, natural disasters, a lot of those going on, right? And politicians don't know what to do. The nations are warring, and there's all kinds of men failing, hearts failing them for fear, right? Terrorism, all of that. We can go on down the list. Sin doesn't need to get a lot more worse for Jesus to come, does it? I think he will soon have to apologize to Sodom, won't he? Everywhere I go, each country seems like they've just passed the new law. And again, we love homosexuals, but the laws now, and I'm on a committee at the General Conference, the laws that are pressing in on Christians to be politically correct, to be even civil rights issues, so we have to hire people who have views that we don't believe in. That's, that's the next step for our country and other countries. So we've got all that. And then you've got, of course, the religious world, the Pope with his encyclical several years ago, that we need to get back to Sabbath keeping, right? You heard about that. Sunday, of course. And also the encyclical in 2008 that said we need a moral religious power to run the economy of the world. Uh, since then, <clears throat> they've put out a resume saying they think they might be a good choice for that. Have you read Revelation 13 lately? Some ambassadors are now saying at the G20 summits that they think maybe that's true, a moral religious power to take over the economy, someone that's done a lot with the economies of the world already, such as the Vatican. Well, I could go on and on and on, and I would try not to do that about that. The revivals in the world, we look at all the religions, the world religions out there, Hinduism, Buddhism, uh, Islam, so many, many. And then there's the revivals of Christianity, right, that are going on, some of them true, some of them false. What about our own church? I just love, one of the things that excites me the most as we work with revival and reformation around the world is I believe with all my heart, and some of them are sitting in this room, uh, the revival of the young adults in this church is one of the most encouraging things that I see in the entire world. As Janet and I travel around the world, we come from country to country, whether it's Europe or America or Australia, now in Indonesia, AYC, GYC, IYC, they're starting up. These young people who are coming together just like you are, saying, we're all about Jesus. We want to get into his word. We believe in the spirit of prophecy. We want to see mission happen. Isn't that exciting to you? I tell you, it's one of the most exciting things I think that's happening in revival. So we see in the Adventist church the revival too. We see some exciting things happening, and we also see the shaking, don't we? Our brother preached the Laodicean message last night. I don't have to do that. Powerful message, ending with the cross, and that's what we need. 
to buy of Jesus, what he offers us every day. So uh, I want to talk about two specific signs, okay, that I think are the last signs that were given. Uh, and I want to show you the first one from the Spirit of Prophecy. You don't mind if I use the Spirit of Prophecy a little more than usual in a message this morning? Is that okay? I don't think this is a group that will throw me out for that. And I wanted to go a little deeper than I might. But Testimonies, Volume 9, page 126. Ellen White says, this is the very last deception of Satan. Will be to make of what? None effect the testimony of the Spirit of God. Where there is no vision, the people perish. Where there's nobody yelling pig, <laughs> people run into it. Satan will work ingeniously in different ways and through different agencies to unsettle the confidence of God's people, remnant people, in the true testimony. To make a none effect the Word of God. How do we do that? Get so busy that we ignore it? <laughs> we don't have time to really dig and study? Talking to myself a little now, huh? Busy being a GC guy now. Studying is really hard. So busy traveling 200,000 miles a year and on this adventure and all this stuff. And it doesn't matter what your job is, it's still hard to have any time anymore, isn't it? Make of none effect. Well, we know there's some other ways it happens too. There'll be a hatred kindled against the testimonies, which is satanic. The workings of Satan will be to unsettle the faith of the churches in them for this reason. Satan cannot have so clear a track to bring in his deceptions and bind up souls in his delusions if the warnings and reproofs and the counsels of the Spirit of God are heeded. Letter 40, 1890. Are you seeing an attack on the Word of God? Can we believe it in the Seventh-day Adventist church even? I mean, we're one of the last churches in the world that still believes in the seven-day literal creation week, don't we? <laughs> but some have begun to leave that, huh? Theistic evolution. You know, and again, let's pray for our schools, pray for all. We have a wonderful school system, wonderful education around the world. But when people keep going out to other schools and getting their doctorates there, they begin to come back and science and faith kind of get skewed there, don't they, somewhere. I call on you as leaders in the church to pray much for our schools, pray for our teachers. I believe most of them are very solid, doing a great job. But if you know of a teacher or you know of a department that's having problems, if I read Jesus and Paul right, I don't think we can just sit there and say, doesn't mean, it's not mine. <laughs> I have to worry about it. He said, if anybody's hurting my kids, <laughs> take that very seriously. So let's pray about it, always in a godly way, but we may have to follow Matthew 18 in the process sometime and talk to somebody about it. But people are trying to undermine the seven-day week, the remnant, the sanctuary, those kinds of things. It's happening, the Word of God. Anything miraculous, uh, that faith and science argument, you know, it's always trying to underdo the miraculous. And so we begin to live our lives in the church not expecting any miracles anymore, right? We're evidence-based, yes, but we're faith-based as well, aren't we? The other last sign, Matthew 24, 14. And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached, where? In all the world, as a witness to all the nations, and then the end will come. Well, how are we doing? How's this remnant movement doing on getting the three angels' messages to the whole world? How do you think? I'm pretty impressed, frankly. Went to the general conference, didn't really want to go there, but when I got there I was amazed at the kind of people that worked there that loved the Lord. The joy working with Ted Wilson and Mark Finley. Mark, they gave Mark to help us in ministerial as a mentor. He's doing a million other things, but he keeps us in line, and I thank God for that. Been an amazing movement since that group of many young people and others started in New England. After the great disappointment, they gathered together. What did they do? They prayed. 
They sought God's word. They asked for clarity on the sanctuary, the coming of Jesus, these other things. And then finally they sent a missionary, right? And then another missionary. But our vision grew to a worldwide mission to get the three angels' messages to every place on this planet. And it's been amazing what's happened. You go out there and you travel now. Janet and I are going 200,000 miles a year, every continent. It's amazing. We don't know how, if we'll live long. But anyway, when we go out there, it's amazing. You get in these far reaches, and what you find is often the Catholics and the Adventists because of the mission. Little clinic, little school, few believers. Thank God for what he's done. 18 million now. Every 28 seconds, a new person is being baptized into this church. Every two hours, a new church is being organized around the world. 3,000 a day plus, like Pentecost, happening in this church. Praise God for what's happening. From that little beginnings, what God has done, how his leaders, how we've had this, this worldwide vision. But how are we doing in finishing it? Don't you want Jesus to come? I don't want to just talk about how good we're doing. We just had 160th anniversary, was it, of the founding of this church? 150th anniversary of 1860. And it's a time to weep. We were told we could have gone home, right? How are we doing? Are we going to finish this? Will we get to go home in our generation? Or will we be talking about the next generation of young adults who say, move aside. We want to do this right. We want to finish it up. What's going to happen? I've uh, put in this little packet you received, and you don't need to get it right now, but some materials that have come in the last few weeks. We just had an urban mission conference at the General Conference, two weeks ahead of the annual council. Sort of like, I don't know if you heard about it, but 25 years ago they had a conference to talk about how are we doing in the world, and they called it the global, they came out with global mission, the idea of sending in church planters and pioneers into every dark area trying to reach this globe. We've seen amazing things happen since then, but we decided after 25 years, Adventist Mission Group and and Ted and, and Mark and the other leaders said, we need to sit down again and look at the demographics. What's happening? How are we really doing in the world? So we spent five days praying much and looking at the facts, the statistics, and saying, how are we doing at carrying out this last sign of Matthew 24, 14? Getting the gospel to the whole world, the three angels' messages to everybody. How long will it take us? Another 160 years? Can we finish? Um, and so I've, I've got for you some statistics that we found in that meeting. They shared with us from archives and statistics. For the first time in human history, more than half of the global population, which is 7 billion, now lives in urban areas. By 2050, it's expected to be 7 out of 10 people will live in the major metro areas. It's amazing. Go to a city like Lagos, they're coming in there by 20,000 a day immigrating into that city. It'll be the largest city in the world probably in the next 20 years. There are more than 500 cities with a population of 1 million or more 236 of them are in the 1040 window. You know what the 1040 window is? Basically, North Africa, Middle East, India, China, North Korea. Those countries with those other religions and the political and religious persecution, very, very difficult to work there. We have very small Adventist presence. Look at the details. Of these 500 cities, of which half of them are in this 1040 window, one million or more, they have an average of one Adventist congregation for every 89,000 people. How's it doing in your town? It includes 100 cities where there's less than one Seventh-day Adventist for every 20,000 people. It gets worse. It includes 45 cities with fewer than 10 Adventists in cities of a million. It includes 43 cities without even one Adventist congregation. I sent these facts to my son, some of them, during this conference. I said, pray. My son is a 
in his first district in Modesto, California, holding an evangelistic meeting right now in his second week, Mark, pray for them. <laughs> they got a good group of interests, Hunter the first week. But I, I sent this text to him, and he's had a tremendous conversion, a great kid. And uh, I said, Mina, Middle East, North Africa, they just say they need warm bodies. There's nobody there in so many of these cities, cities of five million with no Adventist. Zach shot back a text to me, young adults, you know, these young adults are kind of crazy. He shot back, he said, Dad, take all the associate pastors in North America, send them immediately, I'm ready to go. <laughs> Homer Tricartan went into Platte River College in Argentina. He's the new president of that union. We're trying to work it together as a, as a general conference. How can we reach those Middle Eastern countries and the Northern African countries, the worst, most difficult territory in some ways? Homer said he went in and he made an appeal to them. He said, what I need right now is warm bodies. I need global mission pioneers to go in and just live there. You can't get out and preach, but you can live there. I just need bodies in those places. He said, would some of you be willing to take a call that could be a martyr's call? People be killed for preaching Christ in those places. Are you willing to go? 200 young adults from that school came forward. Amen. What you're talking about last night. Our young adults are exciting. They're on fire for Jesus. They're willing to, to put their life on the line for him. But our challenge is all so sobering. These figures are a sobering challenge before the church. But what I'm preaching about today is not to be depressing. Rather, I want to bring to us the wonderful promises God has given of the breakthroughs that are coming, especially two of them, two areas for breakthroughs. But the challenges are so massive. But every danger, every challenge, every danger of missing is an opportunity there, right? And I believe we're sitting at that time at the Amen Conference right now. The vision that was developed in a document voted at annual council out of these facts was that every city will have an influential Adventist presence actively engaged in a comprehensive mission using Christ's method of ministry. By next fall, we're asking every division, they voted to do it, every union, every conference, to look at these cities of a million or more in the world and have a plan started. Now, Mission to Cities was to take one for each division, one for each union, one for each conference. That's been done, it's on the way, 500 and some cities. But that leaves all these other cities unplanned for. So we said, no, we can't do that. We can't wait around 10 years and brag about Mission to Cities. We've gotta go after every city of a million. Come with a plan by next fall. We'll begin, we'll at least start trying to get an Adventist presence there. So that's the vision. It's an exciting vision. The goal is to engage the collective resources of the global church in establishing a Seventh-day Adventist presence, a needs-based ministry in cities of a million or more that have no Adventist congregation, and in all other cities of a million or more to improve the ratio of members and worshiping groups to population. What if you don't have a city of a million in your state, your conference? You've got a territory, don't you? And all of us together are going to have to work the ones that are so amazingly difficult. All of us are going to have to pray more for those territories. All of us are going to have to put in more money, more bodies, more time somehow. And I know you're already putting a lot in in this group, so I'm preaching to the choir here. The doctor that's helped us recently will be in Ethiopia soon. you know. And I know what you're doing, so I thank God for that. But on the other hand, when we look at the challenge, we say, okay, God has given us wonderful promises of the amazing breakthroughs about to come if, if we will cooperate with him and obey instead of just talking about these two things and really doing them. That's what I want to focus with you on this morning. 
two basic areas where God has given us fantastic promises of starting something unbelievable and never seen before if we will finally obey and do it instead of just talking about it. That's the hope that I have this morning, the goal. Also then, for other areas further, to ensure that divisions in their organizations, including local churches, give higher priority to the growing challenge of urban mission, both in their territory and around the world. It's exciting what's going on in this world right now. We thank God for that. Uh, and in this church, what he's doing. You believe we're in the final crisis. Do you believe God is calling us to something of breakthroughs, or do you think he's calling us to wait another hundred years to do this job? Yeah, for sure. I want to show something to you now uh, that we just got together in the last few weeks. It's um, a little four-minute video. And... Uh, we always, Mark, Mike Ryan, and all of us, we get together a council on evangelism witness, an annual council, which talks about what's going on in the world, creative methods, what's happening in evangelism, that kind of thing. And this year, Janet came back from a trip I wasn't with her on. We'd been to Indonesia before, but she came back just bubbling. Her translator is a young woman named Arlene Jim. And uh, she was telling what was happening in Jakarta, city we'd been in. Pretty amazing. Indonesia is about 95%, 97% Muslim. It's the largest Muslim population in the world. And she's bubbling about what God has done in the last 10 years. So I want you to see this story. It's called Cafe Be Hot. Jakarta, Indonesia, a city of nearly 12 million people. Jakarta is the political, economic, and cultural capital of Indonesia. Here, a small but influential Chinese community plays an important financial role in the city. Many of these Chinese looked to Christianity after an economic setback in the late 1990s. In 2003, a group of lay people felt a burden to reach out to the wealthy Chinese population living in Jakarta. Not knowing how to begin, they did what they knew how to do. They started praying. They tried a variety of methods with limited success. A Chinese church leader suggested the health message would touch the lives of the affluent members of society. Once again, the group turned to prayer. They found a four-story building with enough room so they could start a center of influence where they could invite people from the community. The Jakarta Conference helped with the rent for the first year to help get them started. On the first floor, they started a health food store to supplement the rent for the building. The second floor is a lecture hall or classroom for the public. And the third floor is a worship room that could eventually house a new group of believers. The top floor is the most important room in the building, the prayer room. Here, the prayers for the ministry filter down to each of the levels below. The group then felt led to start a radio program about health, which airs on a local radio station. The radio program was well received. They invited listeners to a health seminar in their new building. When the first guest came, the members were so excited, God was blessing their ministry. Leong Pit Lin conducts health seminars twice a week at the center. A cancer survivor, she has had three types of cancer. Many people who attend the health seminars were sent there by their doctors who gave up on them and suggested they go to the center for help. Center volunteers partner with each guest, calling them every day to give support and to pray with them. The health message is a very effective tool for evangelism. I meet various types of people from the middle and upper classes, including intellectuals, physicians, pastors, and writers. 
Many have asked me, what is your religion? And I share with them and invite them to join us for the Sabbath afternoon Bible study. Currently, the Chinese Ministry Center, as it is called, is self-supporting and reaches more than just the affluent Chinese in the city. It reaches all socioeconomic members of the society. When I feel down because of the huge challenges I face, just seeing the many people who are thirsty for the truth encourages me to continue to witness for him. People are attracted to the center of influence because of the message that's presented there, and that is how to live healthy, but not only physically, but mentally and spiritually. And so they are hungry and thirsty for that information. The ministry has grown to include four centers with 60 to 100 visitors on a regular basis. Each center is supported by two to three area churches and is lay driven. Three of the centers have regular organized congregations that meet there, and one of these churches had the highest number of baptism in the conference for the year. Once a person is baptized, they are given a job to assist the ministry and integrate them into the faith. The Sabbath church services are packed with visitors, and the services include time devoted to united prayer. By humble means and simple and varied methods, God is blessing them as they mingle with people, sympathize with their problems, minister to their needs, win their confidence, and point people to the Savior. They have plans to build a health education center where they can train more health and Bible workers to expand the ministry. They have found some land, raised some funds, and still need to raise more in order to make this dream a reality. Your prayers and offerings will help make this possible. These young women are amazing. We brought them over, interviewed them afterwards, and both of them have come out of very successful professional careers, but they make nothing now for a number of years. They live by God, by faith. These buildings, every one, they, they do by faith. And, and the donors, we say, you raise this money, how do you get it? Is there some wealthy people there? I said, no, it's usually not the wealthy. It's those that don't have quite as much. They're giving. We're surprised about that, but they give and they give. And now they've come down the road. They want to start this training center. They've raised $250,000 U.S. already. They want to raise another couple hundred thousand so they can really train all the more. Four centers. The third one is not even organized church yet. And on Sabbath morning, they have 60 or 80 non-Adventist guests there. And they study the sanctuary. They study the deep truths. They go into the Word of God. So it's powerful. It's centers of influence. It's women, lay people of faith working with the conference. And it's the kind of thing that God has told us we ought to do. Is that right? It's the kind of thing we're supposed to do. I'm going to skip this text. You know it, Romans 13. It's time to wake up. It's time to wake up. But the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, Jesus said, because he's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He's sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Jesus came to Nazareth and he said, I preached the prophetic word, but I heal the brokenhearted. I have a comprehensive health evangelism ministry, right? The blind, the oppressed, those that are down and out, Brother Brian. Uh, we see God himself, Jesus, had this ministry. Well, you talked about that. I don't need to go uh, drilling away on you. You know you're talking about a broad ministry that includes the spiritual, the mental, the physical, and the social. This group understands that. I'm here to tell you that by God's grace, there are many pastors that do, many elders that do, 
But we are committed in the Ministerial Association and the General Conference leadership to educating the best we can over the next few years so that everybody understands that we're not going anywhere until we get this one right. That just having reaping meetings without doing the work ahead of time is not going to cut it. We need reaping meetings. They're a wonderful blessing, and without them, it won't work either. We blend the two together with Christ's method alone. We've already seen this statement up this morning, so I don't need to repeat it. But you know that. We're, we're committed to trying to educate 30,000 pastors, again, that their ministry is not just preaching and evangelism and getting baptisms, but it's leading and joining with their members, their medical professionals, all their members, in this comprehensive kind of evangelism that was happening in Jakarta. I loved, as we were talking with... Uh, with Arlene. She's telling about being the assistant to a university president there. They were very close. They did social things together. They had a close relationship, really loved each other. But she said, I was so scared to ever tell her about Jesus. And she said, I never did. And so she'd ask me what I did on Saturday, and I'd give her something about the church. You know, this church I go to does this or that on Saturday. But I never told her really what was going on. Then she became ill. Some days later, her son called and said, Mom just died. She said, I went to the funeral home, and I looked down at my boss that I loved, laying in that casket. And she said, it broke my heart. I began to weep. I never told her about Jesus. She said, I vowed then, and that was 10 years ago. She said, I vowed then I would never let that happen again. I'm going to put it on my mirror. I like what Des said about Florida Hospital, that invite all, force none. I want to do that on the planes. You know, I look at somebody, I say, they aren't interested. <laughs> I think I'll just sleep this time. No, I got to invite all, right? I got to invite all. If they don't like it, if they reject it, well, that's okay. I don't have to be abusive. I just say, well, okay. They don't want to talk. Put in your earphones. But I got to try, don't I? Because that person may not have another best opportunity like that. So it goes on. It's, it's the mission of Christ's method alone. And it really comes down again to sermonizing less, spending time in personal ministry. Pastors are supposed to know how to do some simple remedies. Got to teach me, Phil. I never did learn that very good. I've tried doing comprehensive ministries, but I, I couldn't give you a, a hot and cold bath, I don't think, so I don't know how to do that. The poor relieve, the sick cared for. Weep with those who weep and rejoice with those who rejoice. Ministry of Healing 143. Well, again, I'm sharing this with you not because you don't know these statements, but because I want you to know and pray with us and help us in every way possible to make sure that all the pastors and all the elders, now we're taking on deacons and deaconesses and ministerial too, around the world, get the message that we're in a comprehensive health evangelism plan, the method of Jesus, following him in his way. And really, what we found is we were interviewing Rick McEdwards, who works with the Adventist Mission Group, has been over in these countries, worked for different uh, religions and worked for different uh, cultures and languages. There's really one thing that reaches and works everywhere. I've heard Mark say somewhat the same thing. There's one thing that really works. Acts 2, 42 to 47. The authentic Acts experience, and we won't take time to read all these, you know, the Word of God, fellowship, much prayer, and fear, wonders, then God begins to do those miracles. He begins to pour out on them. Everybody having their belongings in common. Thank you for the offering today. Some of you may be even impressed to do more before the day's over. Who knows? And then meeting needs, and then praising God, and then seeing the church grow dramatically. This is a model, this acts authentic model, that works in every culture, with every religion, when Christians are real, when Christians are on fire for Jesus, when they're praying and having miracles. You know, one of the best ways to reach Muslims is to pray with them. Uh, women, going to women's prayer groups, and I can't say too much here, but it's working because 
women pray in every religion. And all you do is pray, you become friends, and pretty soon people want to know more. Things happen. So it's amazing that prayer is a ministry as well as something we do to open the power of God. The one accord, the love, all share to meet needs. You know, Mahatma Gandhi, great nonviolent leader of India, once said, I would seriously consider becoming a Christian if it weren't for Christians. Think about our own churches. How are we doing, Lord? How are we doing in reaching this? And I believe, the reason I'm sharing this with you is I believe with all my heart that if we start to do in this area what God's told us to, we are going to see a mighty movement. These statements you know as well. Soon there will be no work done in ministerial lines but medical missionary work. Hey, good for you pastors that are here doing it, right? But some of us got to learn a few things yet because soon, and in many countries now, that's the way it is. Can't do anything but centers of influence. Can't do anything but help people's health or that kind of thing already. But soon there won't be anything done except that. And then this statement on the worst evil, you know that one? I want to tell you that when gospel ministers and medical missionary workers are not united, there's placed on our churches the worst evil that can be placed there. Is that strong? I want, as ministerial secretary for the World Church, working with the leadership of the General Conference, I want to release that evil and reverse it. What do you say? I want to see God's people around the world working together in unity. Realizing that comprehensive health evangelism, spiritual, emotional, relational, marriage, all of these things is the key to reaching everybody. And we must work together. We can't have silos. We can't have us, one person with a burden here and another person there. No, pastors aren't to be doctors, but they are to be working with those who know what they're doing. Combined medical, now here are the positive promises. Combine medical missionary work with the proclamation of the third angel's message and see if the breath of life will not then come into our churches. Amen? Amen? The great mighty movement that God wants to start will come when we begin to obey him in this area. I felt a mighty moving again this weekend in that area. We have got to do this in all our churches, every culture, every language, every religion. If we do the authentic, authentic acts experience, if we do Christ's method alone, we're going to see that mighty movement begin. I love this statement. New York City 13, Mark Teeny. Ted Wilson, others, been in that city working this last couple of years. The work in the cities is the essential work for this time. When the cities are worked as God would have them, the result will be the setting and operation of a what? A mighty movement such as we have never yet witnessed. More than the book of Acts. What happened in the book of Acts? That small group of people, 120, waited before they went. They got in a room, they prayed together, they were of one accord. Then when the Holy Spirit was baptized on them and, and poured out upon them, they went forward and within 25 years, with one generation, they had taken the gospel to the whole then known world. And by the way, persecution was part of it. Uh, they began to settle down in Jerusalem and nurture themselves and hover. And Ellen White says persecution had to come to spread them out in the diaspora. Uh, they were beginning to do what we do, hover. Yes, let's send some of the pastors from here somewhere else. Let's work together in the, in the world to make sure that we're giving, as Antioch did, that we're sending out to others. South America is already paying workers and sending them to the Middle East. We believe other divisions and other places are going to do the same thing, where we help the most needy areas. And we don't just think about whether our report at General Conference looks good, but we think about everybody working together. And that's been happening for years, but it needs to happen even more. There, the promises of God are powerful for what he wants to do. Pouring out a mighty movement like we've never seen, even in the book of Acts. It's coming. We'll be a part of it. 
if we work together. First of all, by obeying this command to work unitedly, a blended ministry, pastors, elders, lay people working together, not in opposition, and seeing God work his mighty work. All right. My wife got a call. I wish she was here to tell this story. I'm going to move into the second major calling that God's given us. If we do it, instead of just talking about it, we'll see a massive movement, I believe. She got a call. It was from a doctor's wife. Well-respected in the community. None of you here. She, um, she said, Janet. Janet didn't know her very well. She was a main leader in the lo little local church we were in at the time. She said, Janet, um, it's my anniversary. Janet said, well, congratulations. I'm glad to hear it. She said, no, I want out. <laughs> my husband, we haven't loved each other for years. He runs around with women all the time. She said, I am so miserable. I can't wait to get out of here. In fact, she said, this morning, I packed my car with everything I could get in my car, and I went down the freeway to leave. But she said, I was struggling. I said, God, you know, you know it's not, you don't like divorce. I know that. What are you going to do? How can you help? What should I do? She said, I looked up just then, and there was this giant billboard. And it said, turn back, next exit. <laughs> she said, I knew God was speaking to me. He has a thousand ways, doesn't he? She got off, came back home. I called you. Janet said, I'm not a marriage counselor. She's thinking, God, help me. I don't know what to do. I'm not a marriage counselor. She was shocked that this family even had problems. Can you believe that? Yeah. Anyway, as she prayed and asked God what to do, God seemed to put it into her heart to offer to spend a half an hour a week praying with her for her marriage. She said, I would be willing. I don't know what to do. I'm not a marriage counselor, but I'll, I'll spend a half an hour a week praying with you if you want to. She said, I'll take it. She went over a day or so later, met with her, and she just poured out her heart, all the vile hatred for her husband, everything he was doing, blah, 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 for half an hour. And Janet said, okay, that's it. We'll never do this again. I didn't come here to listen to how bad your husband is. We came here to pray. And she said, beside that, I'm assigning you to spend at least a half an hour getting to know Jesus every day. Do you have a devotional life? She really didn't have one very much. And so she began her part of the journey. They began to get together. This thing went on month after month. They began to pray for their kids. They began to praise God more. They weren't always praying about the man and uh, the, uh, their marriage. But they did pray that they'd love each other the way they did at the beginning. That they'd get back. God put prayers in their heart for them. But this thing went on. They prayed for their kids. The uh, children were not active in the church. They prayed, they prayed, and prayed. This thing went on for two years. Janet said, I was getting so tired of praying for this family. <laughs> and we didn't see. You know what happened to her husband when they started praying? He got worse. Yeah. Started praying for the kids. What happened? She came back. She said, don't pray anymore. <laughs> you know, they're fighting. They're going to get divorced. This thing went on and on and on. But you know, after a couple of years, when they got together, it was all about praising Jesus. This woman had fallen in love with Christ. Her time with God had changed her life. She was now on fire for Christ. She had found the revival and reformation we all need. And something else strange happened. You know what it was? Her husband began to notice her because her face was glowing. She was happy. She was singing around the house, and he wondered what she was up to. One day he said, what's with you? You're happy now. What's going on? She began to tell him about her relationship with Jesus, that she just loved Jesus and he loved her and it was wonderful and it was growing. And 
He said, well, could we pray together? They began to pray together. Yeah. Pretty soon, everywhere they went, they were holding hands. She was sitting next to him in the truck. They fell in love like they'd fallen in love at the beginning. A couple years later, she got ovarian cancer. There was anointing. There was prayer for her. Physical ministry was going on now. She was not healed right then. She was healed. But you know, her sick room became a praise chapel. People came to her bedroom to talk to her, to pray with her. It was filled with angels, filled with joy, filled with praise. She was a praising woman. She did die. Her husband said at the funeral, Janet, if you hadn't taken the time to come and pray with me, to do comprehensive health event. No, he didn't say that. But to pray with her over her needs, we would have never made it. The, the wife had said that too, Janet, if you hadn't prayed with me. Prayer is one of the main comprehensive health evangelism tools. Praying with people, opening up God's power in the universe. I don't know how it works. Do you know how it works? There's studies on prayer. I don't know how that's going to Loma Linda or whatever. All I know is it works. It's one of the rules of engagement. Angel Rodriguez and BRI calls it that. Rules of engagement. Number one, Christ's method alone. Second rule of engagement, much prayer. Personal and together in united prayer. When we do that, somehow in the great controversy, it opens the doors for God's power to be unleashed. Your ministries, your practices, are they bathed in prayer? Do you have a number of prayer partners praying for you? I heard you talking when Des was talking about getting somebody to take some of your responsibility for you. I understand how busy you must be, at least a little bit of it. But what about prayer partners? I know Jan and I were in conference leadership for 20-some years. I wouldn't be a conference president for all the money in the world unless I had a whole large core of prayer partners. If you know the story of Central California at all, if you've been to SoCal Camp Meeting, you know the journey. Amazing journey. We could tell you stories the rest of the month of how God worked miracles, but we had scores of people who would pray over real issues. We had prayer sheets going out every week, praying, and out of that developed all kinds of miracle things. Evangelism offering, the prayer partner sitting saying, God, people don't get it yet that prayer can change lives, that what it can do, and give us a token. God told them in that group, they ought to start praying for the evangelism offering at camp, <laughs> of all things, an offering. It overflowed over 10 years, 100,000 more a year until it got to be a million, and then after that, we thought maybe it'll die off, but we kept praying, and people kept praying at camp meeting. What should they give? And they kept giving more and more, more than they could see. We didn't twist their arms. We just said, keep praying. Ask God what he wants you to do for these things. Young adult ministries grew up. Do you know Central Cal? <laughs> you heard about the San Francisco thing. It's still going on. But the, the literature evangelism thing, Bill Crick and all those leaders came out of there. The Glow Track program started there. Why? Because we had too much money and didn't know how to spend it. So we had to have prayer and fasting retreats to decide how to spend the money God had given us at camp meeting. Went to a million, and then after the million, um, I thought, man, we were, of course, I was getting gray-haired by then, just wondering if it would happen every year. But that year, we were praying and walking around, praying over the grounds ahead of time, as we always did. Janet, the treasurer, others were there. Janet said, Lord, you seem to impress some of us that it's going to be a $2 million offering this year. It was just been a million. I thought, man, Lord, I'd be happy if it was just a million again, please. We gasped. We thought she was a little bit crazy now, you know. But that Saturday night, just at the end, a man walked up to me and he said, Jerry, how's the offering going? I was getting ready to preach. I said, well, it's, it's going well. Looks like it's going to be a million dollars again. We praise God. We had all these youth and young adult ministries going and Bible workers and comprehensive health things that churches were doing. His eyes got big. He said, are you kidding me? 
you, you're, somebody's praying for two million? He said, that's amazing. He said, you know, you ask us every year that we pray and ask God what we should do. We spend 10 days thinking about it. So my brother and I, and we knew this, hadn't been giving. They were fairly wealthy. They hadn't been giving. He said, but today we decided, well, we'll do what Jerry asked us to do. We'll, we'll spend a little time this afternoon and ask God what he wants us to give. And he said, we did. And we thought, well, maybe we'll give him 100000 take him over the goal, make him feel good. But he said, as we sat there talking, God told us to put a million dollars on the top of whatever anybody else gives this year. When I got up to preach that Saturday night at SoCal, I said, folks, what do you think God did this year? Because there were hundreds and hundreds of people praying with us every year. Lord, help it keep going. All these ministries, all these young adult things, help it. When I told them it was $2 million, it took the roof off the place. People weren't talking about their leaders, how great their leaders were. What were they talking about? Talking about God. I'm talking about the second major earnest calling of God to his people in the last days. This Adventist movement has been amazing. God has done great things. We have worked ourselves to death for 170, 80 years. We have tottered off since James White into the grave early because we want to see Jesus come. Working, working, working. I remember Mark Finley telling me about five years ago, Jerry, as I go around the world, everybody's working. Everybody's doing stuff. We're trying to win souls. But the connection somehow. We need to talk about the connection in prayer. The personal devotional life. He talked about it yesterday. And we need to talk about prayer. Billy Graham said one time, and I think he was quoting A.W. Tozer. He said, 95%... We're going to have to forget the PowerPoint because I'm getting so lost here. But it's up there somewhere. But... You don't mind, do you? We just, we just go ahead and finish off. Billy Graham said 95% of the activities of the church today would continue if the Holy Spirit was withdrawn. But in the book of Acts, 95% of what was going on would have stopped if the Holy Spirit wasn't there. Are we in the five or the 95? Help us, Lord. The Adventist movement has been working ourselves to death forever. But the one thing God has said will cause Satan's whole host to tremble. What is it? At the sound of fervent prayer, his whole host trembles. There's a sheet in your packet with these statements on it. There's a magazine Mark Finley did when he was at written, Powerful on prayer makes a difference in all the different ways to pray for others. It says in board meetings, we should talk less and pray more. What do you say? Because talk often brings no light. Can I get a witness from any of you doctors? How many of our board meetings, how many of our prayer meetings bring no light? Because we talk, we give prayer requests, but we never get around to unleashing the power of the God of the universe. Prayer is the key in the hand of faith that unlocks heaven's storehouse, wherein are stored all the boundless resources of omnipotence. Praying personally in our devotional life, taking time to wait before God, we're told, energizes us. Jesus spent the whole night in prayer and came out energized in the morning. How did he do that? The tiredest guy, the working hardest guy in the world? plugged into the cell phone charger at night, came out on fire. How did he know to leave this village when people still wanted him to heal and go to that one? Because he was in touch with the Father. How will you know which patient to ask and which one not to? How will I know which country to go to next? Pakistan, Mongolia, China this year, Africa. We're going everywhere. Are we where God wants us? 
Janet and I plead for him to show us, what's the real journey you have for us? What do you want next? How can we train pastors and elders around the world that it's comprehensive health evangelism, not just one thing to try to get some baptisms? Help us, Lord Jesus. The book of Acts, again, I had all this on PowerPoint, but I've lost it, so I'll just forget it. The book of Acts, study it. In, the, in your packet, again, is a sheet called Church Growth in the Book of Acts, United Prayer. Over and over again, the, sim, the, the uh, process is the same. A big obstacle comes up to the church. Well, they're up in the upper room for begin with, right? They're waiting. The obstacle is they don't know what to do now because Jesus is gone. He's resurrected. They're excited about it. But he says, wait in Jerusalem. So they do. Then Acts 2 happens. They wait. They're baptized with the Spirit. That happens. Then Acts 4. Again, John and Peter are in danger. They pray. They gather. They come together. The obstacle's removed. And then the next thing in all these passages, it happens in 6. It happens in in uh, 12, when Peter's in prison. All these different passages. The obstacle is removed. The next thing that happens? Oh, there's some complaining and criticism. But the word of God was preached with power, and the church grew dramatically every time. The growth in the, in the, in the book of Acts is related back over and over. I've given you 10 examples on that sheet. To the time of united prayer, God calling together his people to pray and to fast, to see what he can do when we unleash his power in the universe in a mighty way. Uh, some of you are sitting here today with um, young people, loved ones, kids that break your heart. I know that. You wonder if they're going to make it, don't you? Some of them. I can tell you my testimony in about a minute and a half. I was an Adventist kid raised in a home with a mom that didn't know she was saved. And I didn't get involved in missions, so I ended up one of the most rebellious, kicked out of three academies, ended up buying and selling drugs, stealing cocaine to sell it, my buddy, the treasurer's kid, was killed in a drug deal near Estes Park, Colorado. But my parents did one thing right. My dad was a publishing director. He was gone all the time. He was grace-oriented, but he wasn't home with his kid. They did one thing right when I started getting kicked out of schools. Two things. First, they said, which admin school you want to go to next? <laughs> but secondly, they said, will you pray for my son, Jerry? They didn't hide it. They weren't embarrassed. I'm sure they were embarrassed, but they got everybody they could praying for me because I was so lost, so lost. And you know what? I had so many people praying for me, I didn't have a chance. <laughs> God took a guy like me that was the worst. I mean, my, my school buddies in high school, my, when they talk reunion, they said, Jerry Page? Their parents think, oh, that's the one we didn't want anywhere near our kids. Now I'm world ministerial director. Isn't God humorous? what Jesus can do for your kid's life. If you will believe that when we pray earnestly, when we pray intensely, something else happens. Something in the great controversy happens. I don't know what happened. Other kids were enjoying their drug trips and I was worried about my heart. I was miserable. The girl I was living with, we broke up. God saved me at the last minute, just before I started using needles on this cocaine. Thank you, Jesus. I don't know how it all works. Some don't come back, but I do know this. If you will intensely get a number of people praying for your loved ones, it will make a difference. Read that magazine from It Is Written, talking about praying for the lost. Powerful magazine, powerful materials. I gotta share a couple of other statements with you and then I will close. You don't mind if I just go through here and try to find some good stuff for you? <laughs> Sorry, this is somewhat of a new sermon. Revival of true godliness, our greatest need, 
What does it say at the bottom of First Selected Messages 121? A revival need be expected only in answer to what? Harder work? We'll work hard. Prayers are the hardest workers I know. Janet always complained I was stealing them for lay pastors and stuff. Because when they prayed, they got Jesus' heart, and they were witnessing and evangelizing more than anybody else that was too busy to pray. Jesus, leaving his disciples, trying to turn the church over to reach the world. And read John 14 to 16 again recent, sometime soon. What's he talk about there? The Holy Spirit. And seven times, seven times he makes this same promise. If you abide in me, you'll bear much fruit. But then it goes on. If you abide in me, you will ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit. And later he says, you will have great joy. Seven times in those three chapters, Jesus on his way to Calvary, his last most important word says the same promise. Do you think it was important? He says, abide in me and you can ask anything in my name and I will do it. Seven times. Wow. I believe this is the thing in the Adventist church we talk about the most and preach about the most, but do the least. Now, maybe it isn't true with you. Maybe it isn't true with you. I struggle with it. By God's grace, I want to be really doing it. And I believe when we do this, along with the other method, we will see unleashed a mighty movement we have never witnessed. Because God's power will be unleashed. And we'll be doing it the right way in the cities and everywhere else. And I just want to tell you this. When I was in Tanzania in January this year, 3,000 wonderful pastors, elders, some other leaders of the churches, sitting outside of a church, and I was teaching them. I looked at them finally and I said, my brothers and sisters, if, God forbid, the President of the United States were assassinated today, how long would it take every villager in Africa to know? They looked at me with a strange look. One person said, a day. Someone else said, two or three hours. Someone else said, two days. How long will it take for Jesus to finish the work? He could have done it a hundred and some years ago, he said. So what's he waiting on? I don't know. There's lots of ways to answer that. I've heard Mark answer it. God is sovereign. He'll come, you know, he'll, he will come with or without us. But I believe right now he's looking to his remnant people to work the cities the way we've been told to, to follow Christ's method in a united, blended ministry across the spectrum of the church. And also to believe that if we spend time with Jesus personally, waiting for counsel, really spending enough time to hear him, to know what he wants for the day, to fill us, to change us, to put us in love with him. If we do that, and then we take the time, and this is the tough one for doctors, for GC people, for everybody, to take some time to pray together. That's what they were doing in the book of Acts. That's what we're told will make a massive difference if we will do it. I don't know why it is. Well, Ellen White says, it's the unity of heart. The Holy Spirit, Jesus prayed also on his way to Calvary that we'd be one, right? John 17, that's the next chapter. And when we pray together, it tends to bond our hearts. As we pray together about Jesus' desires, what he wants. But I tell you, Janet and I have been on this journey for 20 years now because we were really at the bottom. If you heard her testimony, he converted her in an amazing way. It had to do with the prayer conference and with prayer. And she's become a giant of prayer. She's the prayer ministry's coordinator for the World Church. And by God's grace, we want to see the whole world praying seven and seven. There are now thousands, we think maybe hundreds of thousands, praying for the Holy Spirit every day. You think that's going to make a difference? 
may take a little while, but it's going to make a massive difference. Ten days of prayer in January, those things are all in your packet, little booklets and stuff, but that's not the point. The point is, God has said to do it, and we're still just talking about it. The one thing that makes Satan's whole host tremble, he doesn't tremble at my preaching. Preaching's powerful. He doesn't tremble at our talking. He doesn't tremble at our great degrees. He doesn't tremble at our wise statements in board meetings. He trembles at the call on Jesus' name because he knows that God has all the power in the universe. And if we will slow down enough and stop long enough to pray, he will start that mighty movement that will end it. And it doesn't have to take a long time. I believe in a couple of weeks this world could have their attention focused so strongly on the three angels' messages that everybody will be talking about it. Isn't that what happens? The news cycles, 24 hours. What's the latest big thing? One paradigm shift, one miracle, one change. That doesn't mean we sit around and wait for that, but if we're doing our part, if we're obeying, if we're moving forward in those areas where he's called us to in an earnest appeal, we're doing our part. I believe he will end this thing so quickly we won't believe it. We're told he'll take the reins out of our hands. We will know it's not us. That's what I'm praying for. Last thing I want is a report from the GC saying, didn't we do a great job? We're not going to reach those cities in Turkey, five million with no Adventists, by working harder? It's going to take dreams to certain groups, right? That's what's happening. How do we get dreams to Islam? I think so. I think if we do that, we will be amazed at what happens. How can we fix some things in North America? We've seen amazing stories of how God can fix it with prayer. A couple more statements and then I'll quit. This one, great. Education, 216 one of my favorite. The intensity in the world, taking possession of the world, amusement, money-making, contest for power, the very struggle for existence. There's a terrible force that engrosses body and mind and soul. God's saying, be still. Know that I'm God. How we rush through our devotional life in too great haste. We don't wait for counsel. We move on with our burdens, we'll never see the success. These workers can never attain the highest success until they learn the secret of strength, time to think, to pray, to wait upon God for a renewal of physical, mental, and spiritual power. Not a pause for a moment in his presence, but personal contact with Jesus, to sit down in companionship with him. This is our need. This is that statement Ellen White said, commenting on Matthew 18, 19, and 20, about praying together. She says, if two of you agree on earth as touching anything that they shall ask, it'll be done for them of my Father which is in heaven. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. And then she says this, this promise is made on condition that the united prayers of the church are offered. And in answer to these prayers, there may be expected a power greater than that which comes in answer to private prayer. Why is that? The power given will be proportionate to the unity of the members and their love for God and one another. When this message of truth was first proclaimed, she says, how much we prayed. How often was the voice of intercession heard in the chamber, the barn, the orchard, the grove. Frequently we spent hours in earnest prayer, two or three together claiming the promise. Often the sound of weeping was heard, and then the voice of thanksgiving and the song of praise. A little booklet in your thing about united prayer. It's, it's a way you can do that and enjoy it in your church with your young adults. Now the day of God is nearer than when we first believed, and we should be more earnest, more zealous, and more fervent than in those early days. Five Testimonies, page 161. Joel 2, we won't go through all these verses. You know it. What's the call? The earnest call of God to gather together our people, to assemble, to fast, to pray, to repent of our sins, 
to turn back to God, to blow the trumpet. Let the priests who minister to the Lord weep between the porch and the altar. Let them say, spare your people, O Lord. Why should they say among the people, where is their God? Then, and here's the promises, then the Lord will be zealous for his land and pity his people. Fear not, O land, be glad and rejoice, for the Lord will do marvelous things among you. You'll know then that I'm in the midst of Israel. I'm the Lord your God and there's no other. My people shall never be put to shame. Earlier in Joel 2 there, he's saying, why do they say, where is their God? How is it in your church on Sabbath? If somebody comes in as a visitor, they come into the church service, will they see a nicely run bulletin service? Or will they sense the power of God in testimonies and in people praying for each other and in miracles happening in your church and lives change in the authentic acts experience? Is it just 95% human? Or is the Holy Spirit taking you and your family and your church to an experience that young adults are going to get excited about? Then it will come to pass afterward, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams, that's me. Your young men shall see visions. And also on my men servants and man servants, I'll pour out my spirit in those days. And then Ellen White's vision in closing. This message will close with power and strength far exceeding the midnight cry. Hallelujah. The servants of God, endowed with power from on high, with their faces lighted up and shining with holy consecration, go forth to proclaim the message from heaven. Many are praising God. The sick are healed. Are we seeing enough healings, enough anointings? No, God wants to do more. But prayer is the key. An ongoing, unleashing power. He'll do it in his time. I'm not going to tell him what to do. But more miracles were wrought. A spirit of intercession was seen, even as it manifested before the day of Pentecost. Are we seeing that? Hundreds and thousands were seen visiting families and opening before them the word of God. Hearts were convicted by the power of the Holy Spirit, and a spirit of genuine conversion was manifest. On every side, doors were thrown open to the proclamation of the truth. The world seemed lightened with a heavenly influence. One other text, one other statement I didn't show with you. Ellen White said, why, they say, why is it there's no more power in the churches? And you know that statement goes on. She says it's because of unconfessed and unrepented sin, selfishness and backbiting. and All the sins are listed there. It's because of that. And then conscience is hardened. So, again, following God, obeying his commands in how to do our work, blending our ministry, comprehensive health evangelism. You're already on that journey, but we've got to get everybody else there, right? Working the cities the way we should work them, a mighty movement will begin. Praying as we've never prayed before in our own life. Serious about it, not just talking and preaching about it. And then taking the time out of our extremely busy lives, out of which we must cut something, probably, to pray together unitedly. I, Derek Morris was here a couple years ago. Remember the story of Forest Lake? Just down the road here. Came to that church. It was down. Somebody had taken a congregation out into the community. It wasn't Adventist anymore. He came in. He went to prayer meeting the first time. You know, they, they ended up having his wife as a nurse practitioner or physician assistant, they started a group of 50 of their lay people. They ran this health evangelism programs in the church. It was powerful. Then the media ministry came along and Hope Sabbath School. All those things sprung up out of prayer. But he went to prayer meeting and there was four people there. He and his wife and two others in a church of 2,500 people. But they didn't give up. They began to really pray there. They began to pray and people began to bring their young adults with problems. They would anoint them. They would pray over them. Miracles were happening. People started bringing their kids to, to prayer meeting. They ended up with, how many do you think at prayer meeting? Well over 100, 150. 
baptisms began to happen because neighbors were bringing their kids to prayer meeting. That's a novel thought, isn't it? That at prayer meeting, we don't just preach again, but we preach a little. He did, eight minutes. Then we have real prayer over real issues, and we praise God for what he's doing, and we see him work. People want an authentic X experience. They want to see that something's happening in our prayer meeting, something's happening in our church. No wonder people don't come to Sabbath school if nothing's happening. But let something happen. Let the Lord be in power. I tell you what, SoCal Camp Meeting, they were going to sell it. They had uh, decided never to have it again and sell the property. But once we started praying for months ahead of time, once God started doing miracles there, when young adults were flowing down the aisle giving their hearts to Jesus and ministries were exploding through the conference, not everything's perfect there, forgive me, but once we began to see things happen, we couldn't get people in. They were fighting over spots. Three to 5,000 during the week, eight to 10,000 on the weekends. When God is there, people will flock. If it's just human, people will run. I've said enough, it's time to eat. But thank God, he is still on the move. This movement is moving. I'm not here to talk depressingly about the Adventist movement. I believe we're the best out there. But I believe God wants to take us to the breakthroughs in a couple areas, and then he can take us to that final breakthrough, which is the miracle that turns the world on its ear overnight. The miracles in the sky. There'll be fire on the other side in the sky. God's going to work miracles. It's all going to be spiritual. It's all going to be religious at the end, and it's going to happen quickly. And it may be the economy taken over. We don't know. All that stuff. Would you take just a moment or two with me now and just kneel where you are? Pray. Just ask God to, to, to whatever you need to in your life. Any of these things we've talked about, if you need change or recommitment, or sin confessed, trust him. He's a healer. His ministry in Luke 4 is happening today at this time. Now, with love and the Spirit, baptize us today, Lord. We want to experience the mighty moving of Pentecost today. We're tired of running things that we know we can succeed at some level in, not trusting you, thinking big enough, planning big enough that we can't do it. Lord, guide us, help us. I thank you for this group. They're on fire for you. They're doing so much and adding to the top of it mission trips and giving beyond measure. Lord, help us all, though, as we witness to our families and our young adults and those around us that they will see we're all in, that we have everything in common to meet the needs of others, pastors and elders, Lord, and church members and medical professionals. Lord, bring us together at the foot of your cross. May we find that new power, that new energy, that new excitement in the adventure with you. Thank you. Bless them, Lord. I pray for your special anointing on them today. A double, double measure, whatever that means, Father. I pray they'll go home to, in a dramatic way, support their pastors and to change their churches in a positive, loving way. That we can see a difference in our movement overall, Lord. A revival is not something we hunt for, but something we're unable to report on. It's so overwhelming and taking over, everybody knows. Thank you, God. We pray for that. Thank you for your love. We thank you for your grace. Thank you that it's all about you, you working in us, to will and to do of your good pleasure. Not about our adding another task, but us just surrendering to you, abiding in you, and watching you 
Call on us to ask anything in your name to bear fruit, bring glory to you, and have full joy. Thank you, Jesus, for what you're doing and will do, and that you're coming very soon. Let us be a part of it. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.